Well, uh, it's good to see you all here this afternoon. Amen. We're a little light on the singles from what I understand. We've got a number of them that are over in Catalina, but I appreciate the depth we've got when it comes to our worship service, our worship ministry here. Uh, kind of cool seeing Tom and Ben up there uh, dueling with the guitars. I'm sure Ben was probably a little bit more appreciative of that than just working the soundboard and setting everything up, but uh, amen. It's been an interesting week for us. Uh, we've had two of the three Pelizzeri girls for the week. And uh, I, I do want to uh, share with the congregation, it's been awesome having the opportunity to absolutely spoil them and then uh, send them home tonight. For uh, our first night with them, uh, I don't know that anything was conveyed to us from a standpoint of when they were supposed to go to bed, other than the fact that when I had Sally call her dad at about 10.30, it was probably about two hours after the time she was supposed to already be there. One of the most humorous things I've ever seen is watching her try and imitate me. She's, you know, pretending to talk in a really deep voice, and uh, I think she actually had her dad go for a minute or two, but uh, anyway. Uh, as you know, we're uh, continuing with our series, Elevate. Uh, the first two segments were Lift, Restore, and... And um, personally, really grateful that back in uh, 2000, uh, Jackie and I had the opportunity to take a group of singles to Jerusalem. So for me, these Psalms of Ascent have incredible deeper degree of meaning, having had the opportunity to ascend some of those mountains and all the different uh, places that we did have the opportunity to see. So I've got a couple of pictures I wanted to show here today. Let's see if we're on. Okay, uh, you can see that hill way, way, way in the background there with a little bit of stuff up on top. This is a modern-day picture of Jerusalem to the like the right hand side there it kind of puts it in perspective you can see some headlights and some cars coming down one of the roads off to the side but this would be much more along the lines of what the Israelites would have seen coming into Jerusalem coming through the hills and without as their ultimate destination you know one of the things that the songs of Ascent kind of do for me personally is we know what communion means to us you know, it's, it's a time of reflection. It's a time where we think through what Christ has done for us personally. It's a time where we assess how we maybe have gotten off the path a little bit and use that time to pray, meditate on where we're at, what Christ has done for us personally, and be grateful. What I can't even begin to imagine is what it must have been like for those early Israelites as they were heading into town and they round the bend and all of a sudden they see their destination in the background there, knowing that they are going to be with God. This incredible time of worship, knowing that their sins, there are these pilgrimages that they were able to take part of, one of which where they would go to have their sins forgiven via the priest making offerings to God. This is uh, modern-day Jerusalem, uh, shot from the Mount, of, uh, Mount Zion. Uh, basically the uh, Mount Zion, or excuse me, from uh, Mount of Olives where you have the Garden of Gethsemane. What you're looking at right there is this incredibly huge cemetery over thousands of years old and individual vaults that the Jews used to bury their people. I don't know if this would be what, the, uh, what Jesus would refer to at, at times from a standpoint of the whitewashed tombs, but you can see there's this, it's called the uh, Valley of Kidron or the Valley of Kings in between the Garden of Gethsemane and Mount Zion. And then from Mount Zion, Jerusalem, looking back across the valley, this would be the Garden of Gethsemane up to the left. 
Absalom's pillar or Absalom's tomb. Absalom's not buried there. It's one of those things where they've got different sites that they claim, you know, what took place there. To the right, you have uh, Ben-Hazir's tomb, which is an actual tomb of one of the kings uh, that you can read about in First uh, Kings. And again, another shot of the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. One of the things I found really interesting while we were there, too, the uh, olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane, they've got trees that are a couple thousand years old. Now, King Herod actually went through, and a lot of that was cut down, but the, the trees do come back. So it's very possible that some of the trees that we had to experience, I, I had the opportunity to lead a devotional in Gethsemane, which is really incredible. But some of the trees that were there may have actually been, those groves may have actually been walked through by Christ, those actual trees, which is kind of cool. So our first uh, passage this, morning, this afternoon comes out of Psalm 125, verse 1. And it, as we, we go there, I want us to kind of think about personally some of the mountaintop experiences we have had as Christians. Things where your faith in God... God made evident through different blessings that you achieved or saw within your own life. I know for me, thinking through some of those modern day experiences, there, there were, there's been a number of them through the years. I think one of the, one of the greatest ones for me was seeing my mother-in-law get baptized into Christ at about the age of, in her late 60s. Uh, she's 80 years old today. She's been a Christian for 17 years. She actually led one of the fastest growing zones in our church. Uh, back in the uh, South Hills sector of the East region, and just did this phenomenal job of reaching out and bringing in other people's moms and aunts and grandmothers, and it was just incredible to see what she did and the impact that she had for God. And ultimately, this woman who had been very spiritual and religious, being able to differentiate in time through the studies that even though she was as religious as she was, she was not a saved Christian. She had, there were things in her life that were not on straight, but to see her eventually having the humility to look to the scriptures and see where her life didn't measure up and then make that commitment to make Jesus Christ Lord of her life. We had a month in, uh, uh, it was a month, the month of July actually, in the uh, South Hills sector where a sector of a little over 100 people saw 37 people come to Christ, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, which again, what is that? I mean, it's totally God. It was absolutely amazing. Um, having had the opportunity to see co-workers of mine come to Christ, uh, performing weddings for singles where you knew their background, you knew the individuals, you knew the degree of purity that took place in their dating relationships so that when that bride came down the aisle, for me, those were mountaintop experiences knowing that that white dress that they wore actually meant something, that they waited on God and they waited on their father to walk them down the aisles and give them away rather than taking it into their own hands because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I've seen teens and college students bring families, their entire families, to Christ. And I mean, I, think, I look back on a, a couple of situations where it was amazing the degree of persecution that they themselves were dealing with because they had bailed on what the family viewed as the family religion. But because of their stance and the changed lives that their parents saw and their siblings saw, that opened the door for them to think, well... Something's going on here. I mean, I remember one parent in particular who came out to church to see what was going on with the church that their daughter was going to because she thought that there was something that she needed to protect them from and ultimately ended up studying the Bible and becoming a Christian herself. And that's how, that's how God works. And so incredible. We each have these kinds of stories 
as disciples that we can share. In Psalm 125, verse 1, it reads, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which can never be shaken, never be moved. You know, we think through mountains. Uh, we got any mountain climbers in the group? Out of this group? No one? Has anybody ever hiked in a mountain? Okay, okay, well... <laughs> You know, again, for me, there's certain things that we that God has blessed us with that help me connect with God. One of them is the ocean. I love getting down to the ocean and just seeing the power of the waves and knowing that every day I go out there, that seashore is a little different because of the power of the ocean and, you know, the dolphins and all these different things. I can just go out and sit and feel God. And I'm sure that's what the Jews experienced, again, as they were heading into Mount Zion. The mountains have the same kind of impact on me. I mean, their immensity Knowing that God created these things for me, for each and every one of us, is, is so amazing. And knowing that they are immovable. I mean, they're huge. They're monstrous. I had uh, my uh, mom's aunt came out from New York years ago. This is when the smog in California was a lot worse than it is today. And she was she spent about a week with us. And I remember her coming outside. You know, she'd go out and get the newspaper in the morning. She'd get a little bit earlier start than everybody else. And then one morning, I kid you not, I heard her scream. So I come running out of the house to find out what's going on. Well, we had one of those days where the smog blew out. And all of a sudden, there's this mountain range where there hadn't been one. And we, we only lived maybe seven or eight miles from the foothills. It totally blew her away. But that's the kind of impact that mountains can have. And with that, with the Jews, that picture that we saw earlier... When you're up on top of the mountain, is it amazing what you can see? And think of the rep- think of the security that that represented for the Jews, knowing that they could. And there's mountains all around Jerusalem, as you saw, and they'd have sentries on different parts of the area, keeping a watch on what was going on, who was coming and going, and they could communicate that to the city. And there was just this incredible sense of security that came through, and we see that here. In this verse, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which can never be shaken or moved. Faith makes us unmovable. Now, we know that with Jesus, Jesus says we can move mountains, but I think this is really important for us as Christians to realize and understand that faith makes us unmovable. That there are so many things that Satan wants to throw our way, so many different areas that he wants to come after us with. We all know the list. Whether it's Galatians 5, Mark 7, all the different things that we see in the Bible that talk about sin. And Satan knows exactly what our weaknesses are. But if we really go after aggressively the kind of faith that's talked about here in this passage, we are unmovable. Satan can't have any impact whatsoever in our lives. The word conquer in the uh, dictionary basically means to overcome. One of the definitions is to overcome an army, enemy to defeat somebody that may be coming at you, to overcome an obstacle, feeling, desire. Again, some of the challenges that we can have in our lives, we can conquer with God through Christ. Uh, The third one there was to gain possession or control of by or as if by force or war. And really understanding that we are in a spiritual battle each and every day of our lives. I'm going to take a look at some individuals that had... Mountaintop, mountaintop conquerors that we see in the Bible. And it's really amazing. You might want to just take the opportunity, if you've got a concordance, look at mountain. And then all the situations that involve mountaintops. Noah conquered a flood. We all know where he came to rest, right? He was victorious over that flood and came to rest on a mountaintop. Abraham conquered his doubts. Where did that take place? 
on a mountaintop. We, we know it's Mount Moriah. The, the Jews claim that the foundation stone of the temple there, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, was the very place where Abraham was about to sacrifice his son Isaac. Mountaintop. Moses. Where did he conquer his fears? You know, a little bit of an interaction with the burning bush. He had a lot of fears, made a lot of excuses, but ultimately we saw how incredibly victorious he was when he had faith in God. You know, being faced with the Red Sea, God parting that for him, and then ultimately being married, buried on top of a mountain as he walked with God and, and spent his final hours on earth. Elijah, we, we had the opportunity to go to Mount Carmel. He conquered 450 prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel. Elisha conquered death. I believe it's the first resurrection that we see take place in the Bible. There was a woman who'd come to him whose son had died. He prayed to God, laid himself out on the child, and the child came back to life. Again, Mount Carmel. Jesus conquered temptation. Where? On top of a mountain. Satan took him up to a mountaintop, told him, you can have all these kingdoms of the earth. And he conquered that temptation. We also know that Jesus conquered discouragement. There were times in his life where we all know they, 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 were, they were lonely times based on what he knew personally that he was going to have to deal with. God knew it and he encouraged him at the Mount of Transfiguration where he had the opportunity to spend time with Elijah and John the Baptist and, and then hear God himself say, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Top of a mountain. And then this one, I didn't realize. It's probably because... I tend to go to verse 18 rather than where it starts in verse 16, but Matthew 16, or excuse me, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, do we know where Jesus gave the direction to his apostles? Anybody got their Bible over to Matthew 28, verse 16? It was on a mountaintop. He had his guys meet him on a mountaintop. And that's where he conquered in action. We know that after he had died, his guys kind of went back to the old stuff, which we all can do. We can... I lose sight of Christ. But we know that that's where Jesus gave those final words of encouragement and direction to his twelve. And because of that today, we're here. Because they were willing to listen to what Jesus had to say. So I think ultimately in this verse, the thing that's really important is we need to trust in the Lord. Now, I know for me, when it comes to what this talks about as being unshakable or unmovable, I wish I could say that's who I am on a daily basis. But as my wife will attest to, without any major prodding, I'm sure, is that that is not who I am. I am not unmovable. There are days where I can be sad. There are days where things like joy, success, failure, challenges within the marriage happen once in a while. Nowhere near as much as we did 27 years ago. Amen. Thank God. Or 20 years ago. I've been a Christian now for 20 years. But there are those things that can get in there and kind of mess with your head. And if I'm not doing well spiritually, guess what? I am movable. Satan slips in through the back door, and I I find myself doing things that I know I shouldn't do, things that I don't want to do, because I've taken my eyes off Christ and forget what an incredible God I have in heaven. I can mess up. One day I'm full of faith, next day I'm empty. You know, thermometer up and down all over the map. And with that, you know, I've asked myself sometimes with the security that we see in the Scriptures, is it real? And, you know, honestly, I think each and every one of us can attest to the fact that it is. We've had the victories, and we know when we're not doing well, there's a reason for it. We've taken our eyes off of Christ. 
We are secure not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we trust that God is sure of us. And that's such an incredible thing. We are baptized into Christ. We belong to God. So it doesn't really matter what's going on in my head, where I think I'm at, the doubts that I can have from time to time, as we all can. But as long as I'm willing to trust in God, guess what? I am unmovable. There's absolutely nothing that can separate me from God. Let's go to uh, verse 2. Oh, actually, I've got a quote here first. I ran across this the other day, and I thought this was incredible. And I would imagine each of us can really see how this works in our own lives. It says, faith puts God between us and our circumstances. Without, without God, what do we got? We got the circumstances, baby. We got the challenges in the workplace, the challenges in the marriage, all these different areas of our lives. It would be just the circumstances. But with God, God's the buffer. God's the one that can keep us on the right path. God's the one that can keep that path that seems like it's going all over the place smooth so we can stay focused on Him. You know, the opening phrase of the psalm that we saw in verse 1 is, Those who trust in the Lord. It's not a matter of trusting in our own performance, our own morals, righteousness, health. Not trusting in your evangelist, your discipler, your doctor, the president, or the economy of this nation. But it's based on those who trust in the Lord. Those who decide that God is for us and He will deal with anyone or anything that wants to mess with that relationship that we have with Him. As we see in verse 2 here, it says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people now and forever. You know, what what are we talking about here? Protection. You know, and I, I like this, this whole thing, the Lord surrounds His people. God's family is embraced by God. You know, I would imagine we've all had those instances, um, some of us maybe more so than others. I had a mouth when I was in school, and unfortunately at the time my body didn't match up to my mouth. It got me in a lot of trouble. I can't tell you how many times I was having to find a different route home from junior high school to keep getting my hindsight kicked because I said something stupid to the wrong people. You ever had one of those situations where you've been surrounded by a bunch of people, i.e. the enemy? It's kind of a scary thing, especially when you're five foot tall, 99 pounds. And for whatever reason, the guys that I popped off at always had, were able to do a much better job of recruiting than I did. <laughs> That's what happens when you offend everybody. I guess I did a lot of that when I was in junior high school. But uh, how much better is it to be surrounded by God? It doesn't matter what's coming your way. If you, being surrounded by God. This is what's being talked about in this passage. Is the mountain surrounds Jerusalem. And you know, is it a part-time thing? Does God kind of check into the security booth once in a while? And, hey, I wonder, you know, I wonder how we're all doing down there on that little blue orb I made. No. It says He surrounds His people now and forever. I don't know about you. I, I find that incredibly comforting. You know, it doesn't matter whether I'm dealing with fear, depression, doubts, financial issues, you know, wondering about my parenting skills, wondering about my husbandry skills as a spouse. It doesn't matter. As long as I'm faithful and I focus on God, I can conquer all those things. We can conquer all those issues and challenges we may have in our lives. So again, protection. And I think with that protection, we see the the permanence that God promises us here. You know, it's amazing today. How many of you have alarm systems in your home? A few. How many of you have alarm systems in your car? 
You know, you get into that little finance office, and back in the old days, cars didn't come with alarms, you know, when I was growing up. Uh, and, and now it seems like everything's got the little remote and the little noisemaker. Nobody pays attention to it anymore because they're all out there beeping at one point in time or another, except for my neighbors when it's somebody else's car and they think it's me. Um, anyway, but, you know, it's amazing what we, the time and money we will spend on protecting our stuff. How much time do we really do we really spend protecting what God has given us from a standpoint of our salvation? You know, when it comes to our relationship with God, getting into the scriptures, our time of prayer, and knowing that God is there to protect us forever. You know, will God answer prayer? I think so. I've seen it. I would imagine if you guys had, and some of you in the just even in the early days of studying out the Bible, when you started praying. You saw certain things coming together in your life, things that you tried for years to overcome and had absolutely no ability to do so. But all of a sudden you invite God in, victory after victory, conquering sin after sin or situation or whatever, but just incredible breakthroughs. You know, just remembering that God is our ultimate defense. God, through Jesus Christ, is our advocate. Jesus is our intercessor. He pay, he, he's the ultimate payment for our sin. He makes us righteous before God. And I think really understanding, we can get caught up in our situations and we lose sight of God. And we lose sight of the protection that's promised here. And ultimately, what ends up happening? We start, instead of feeding our faith, we feed our doubts. And it needs to be the other way around. We need to continue to feed our faith and starve our doubts. You know, I think you guys have I've used the... Uh, Gordon Ferguson taught the book of Romans a number of years ago. And it was just this incredible analogy of these two dogs going at it. I mean, you know, you've got righteous pit bull and you've got... Wicked pit bull. Which of the two is going to win? Yeah, somebody said it. The one you feed. You know, the righteousness isn't going to have a whole lot of power over wickedness if he's not being fed. And that's how it goes with our own spiritual walk. We need to feed our faith. We need to trust that God will take care of us. You know, in, the, in this particular passage, the word trust means to extend oneself out fully, totally letting go of everything. You know, you've heard it said, we let go and let God. Not trusting in our religious ritual or ourselves, trusting in Christ who's gone ahead of us. With that and the protection that we've got from God, we will not be shaken. Verse 3 says that the wicked will not always rule over the land of the righteous. If they did, the righteous themselves might do evil. You know, I think the key word here is, what I've got highlighted in the green chalk there says, not always. Which, you know, it, it conveys a sense of finality. Evil is temporary. God won't let us be changed by the evil in the world as long as we rely on Him. We have that trust. We go to Him with that faith that's being talked about. That We've seen those other individuals that have those mountaintop experiences in the Bible. Where they, all these incredibly stellar individuals that had it on straight from day one. No. I mean, Moses is favorites. I mean, it's amazing how many times God went head-to-head -head with him. And, well, you know, I'm not an eloquent speaker. God, send somebody else. Okay, I'm done with you. We'll send Aaron. But it doesn't change the course. It doesn't, doesn't change the direction. And just seeing time after time. And then with each of those victories, how Moses eventually went head-to-head -head with Pharaoh. But, you know, isn't this who we all are? We're human. We're in the flesh. We've got issues. We've got challenges. But by relying on God, even, even evil is temporary. You know, you think of the dark times that surrounded Christ when he was born. What was going on at the time? 
I mean, didn't, didn't he and his family have to flee? I mean, they were killing off all the babies because you had a king that was insecure and was threatened by this king of kings that had been ushered into the world. Yet, based on the political climate and the situation going on at the time, the Prince of Peace came and he still established his righteous mountain, his kingdom. So I think what we can see here in verse 3 is the psalmist is guaranteeing the future of God's people which aren't going to be affected by anything that comes our way in the world. Nothing will change our destiny, which is foreordained by our sovereign God. Paul proclaims those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likenesses of his son. Romans 8, verse 29. We come before God, we're pure and blameless. We look to God as how Jesus Christ looks to God. I can't even get my mind around that one. I mean, that actually, that blows my mind knowing that because of what Christ did for me, God's perception of me is the same way He looks to His Son. That's why we are His family. I don't know about you, that's encouraging. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, when it comes to just this whole concept of evil, it says, if you think you are standing firm, you'd better be careful that you do not fall. Every test that you have experienced is the kind that normally comes to people God keeps his promise, and he will not allow you to be tested beyond your power to remain firm. At the time you are put to the test, he will give you the strength to endure it and provide you with a way out. Who can find us guilty if God has declared us innocent? And that's what we have through Christ. And that's why it's so important for us to hang on to that trust in God, that faith in God. As he sent Jesus to die for us, Jesus had doubts, I'm sure. We saw it in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, he was crying out to God, God, if there's another way, please. But ultimately, that faith and trust that he had enabled him to complete the task set before him. Because of that, we can stand pure and blameless before God today. Verse 4 of Psalm 125 says, Lord, do good to those who are good to the... Lord, do good to those who are good. There we go. To those who obey your commands. But when you punish the wicked, punish also those who abandon your ways. Peace be to Israel. It's pretty clear God will reward those that do good. And to be good, or in some of the older translations, to be upright, it means to travel in a direct path. So the Hebrew word is used in, in this particular situation, actually it's used in the building of roads. You know, you get out there and we've got a number of engineers in the group. What are some of the challenges you have when you go to lay a road? Man, there's hills, there's mountains, there's rocks, there's lakes, there's, you know, today we've got the Environmental Protection Agency, there's one-eyed owls and, you know, funky-looking frogs, and you got all these things you got to take into consideration, and they've all have to be, it has to be smoothed out in order to lay that road down. It's the same thing here. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verse 5, that we are kept safe by the power of God. God's the one that builds those roads. And I think one of the things we can see here too, though, in verse 5, is what's one of the other things that can happen? It says, but you punish the wicked, punish also those who abandon your ways. You know, I appreciate Andy's communion today. There was a a lot of good meat there today in light of how we've got freedom in Christ, but what do we do with that freedom, ultimately? You know, I I think we, we see this, people that abandon God's ways. It says, God's ways here, your ways, God. And I think one of the things that we understand is that authentic faith produces a life that lasts. 
True believers are those who, in the midst of evil, refuse to compromise anything that they have that's been established as the truth that we have from God. You know, I want to take the opportunity for a moment here, too, just to, to commend some of those true believers that we have here in our fellowship. You know, our worship team, the ushers, our kids' kingdom workers, uh, community group leaders, our family group leaders, our shepherds, our teen workers, our pre-teen workers, and the list ultimately goes on and on. And as the song goes, there is much to do, and I think many are doing it. But with that, I've got a video I want us to watch here for a moment, and then we'll, we'll kind of pick up on that thought. I think it's rather amazing what that bird is capable of doing, right? I think one of the things that, that we can see here today without too much of a push is you can pretty much teach a parrot to say anything, right? I think you know where I'm going with this. If you were to teach that parrot to say, I'm a Christian, would it make it a Christian? I think this is something we've got to be careful with ourselves. You can make the verbal claim, but does it mean anything if the actions aren't there? And I think it's inconsistent to claim to be a Christian while having no interest in worship or biblical instruction or the fellowship or discipleship, godly virtues, acts of Christian service, any of those things. I think one of the things that we've got to be careful with and I think it's something that really is one of the challenges in the world today. We are a world made up of consumers. And it's getting more and more like that around the world. It used to be the United States led the way in consumerism. Not the case today. India and China. The, the buying power, the, the sheer numbers of people that they have, it's all about what you can get. And we've got to be careful as a fellowship. It's not a matter of coming through these doors and, okay, so what's the minister doing for me today? Or what's going on back there in kids' kingdom for my kids? Or what is it that other individuals are doing when it comes to the needs that need to be met abroad? I think we, we've got members of the congregation that can come in here on a weekly basis, be spiritually fed, have their kids spiritually fed, and do absolutely nothing to support the church financially, nothing to support the church with their time or energies, either here or abroad. And I think just really being careful, just because we made that claim that Jesus Christ was Lord of our lives when we entered the waters of baptism, that nothing can take God from us, but we can walk away from God. We can abandon God. We can abandon what Jesus Christ has done for us personally. So I think, you know, again, the, the, the thing here is, is cautionary. And, you know, you may not may not like it. You may know that you're one of the individuals being referenced. I don't know who you are individually. My, my challenge to you today would be not to walk out of here angry, but to think about maybe pulling aside and you realize you're drifting. You know you're not vested. Pull somebody aside. Get some help. If nothing else, I know one of the things that's helped me through the years is just that, taking on the heart of Christ that we see in Philippians 2 and serving I mean, some of my, my greatest victories have been in kids' kingdom, doing that as an evangelist when I was up in Ventura, working with preteen kids, a couple of them with, with single parents that had some major challenges. Seeing these kids at the beginning of that six-month period not wanting to be involved at all, and as time went on, getting those hugs from them in the fellowship, having them lead the small groups, being involved on a whole other level, that stuff works on the heart. And that's what we're dealing with 
you're not vested here, it's a heart issue. It's nobody else's fault. You can claim it's, you know, what's preached or the discipler or the group you're in or whatever it is. That's not the issue. I can guarantee you that. Because there isn't anybody in here that died for you. There's only one person that did, and that person's Jesus Christ. Amen? We're going to close with Romans 8. Oh, you know, actually... Don't turn there yet. Verse 5. Just one other thing I did want to mention. It talks about how the peace will be upon Israel in verse 5 of Psalm 125. And I think, you know, one of those things that we need to understand as Christians, and this is sometimes why we can get a little drifty sometimes when it comes to our walk, is the peace that's being talked about here, peace isn't simply the absence of conflict. Because as, as men and women living on a planet that is in a fallen state, there's always going to be conflict. God doesn't promise that that's going to go away magically when, you know, we decide to become a Christian. That's not the case. Peace is a serene trust in God's vigilance as our protector. Knowing it doesn't matter what goes on around us, we're protected by God. It doesn't matter what goes on around us, but because of the blood of Christ, we're redeemed through that blood. We've been stamped. When we get to heaven, God's going to pull out his little UPC scanner or whatever the heck he uses, and guess what? The gates are going to pop open. That's what we've got to rely on with God. No confidence in our performance or what we view as our individual righteousness or even our church. We need to trust in the perseverance of our Savior working within us in the Holy Spirit. Our eternal life begins the moment we are baptized into Christ. Our sins have been paid for. Our salvation has been accomplished, protected. And one day in heaven, it will be completed for each and every one of us as long as we remain faithful to God. Just as we saw with Jerusalem, it being a fortified city, we rely on God. We walk with God on a daily basis. We will feel that fortified and secure each and every day. Amen? So we're going to go ahead and close out here in uh, Romans chapter 8. And I think, you know, there are going to be times where we may wander around a little bit like lost sheep at times. Been there. But the good shepherd will always bring us back into the fold. We may slip, we may stumble, but God will hold on to us. We can see that here in Romans 8, verse 28. It says that we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who has been called according to his purpose. You know, I did want to share one other thing here, just a little detour. I got some incredible news at the beginning of service today from Nicole Lee. Many of you know that there was potentially cervical cancer that she was looking to, having to contend with in her own life. And I really want to thank the brothers and sisters that have been praying for her. I mean, it was so awesome to see her walk up to me today, big old smile on her face and saying, you know what, Steve, I'm cancer-free. And this is the power that we have through Christ. Amen? Jackie and I both have lost people to cancer. And, you know, it's just seeing how that, how that works, just the challenges involved with it. And, again, being able to see the transition here, I personally am super, super grateful to God and for those of you that have been praying for. Verse 29, it says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the Holy Spirit speaking. That is the God that we have. I mean, when you look at all the things that we can be challenged by on a daily basis, the things that come at us daily, knowing it doesn't matter what Satan throws at us, there is nothing that can take your salvation away. But we do need to be sobered. And it is the impetus is on us that we are the ones that will maintain that relationship with God. No one else can do that. We've got to be in the Scriptures. We need to be going to God in prayer. We need to be involved in this fellowship. Because, you know, guys, I wouldn't be here 20 years in the kingdom if it hadn't been for God's Word, prayer, and God's people. I know that definitively. And we need to take this passage and we need to hang on to it. Because with God, we are more than conquerors. We are totally unshakable, totally unmovable. Nothing can take the gift of salvation that was given us through Jesus Christ away, ever. Disciples of Christ, God bless.